Good morning, church. A reading from Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. The armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit of all sorry, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with the, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. This is the word of the Lord. Well, my name is Amanda. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope, and um, we are wrapping up a series that we have been in this fall called To the Church in New York, where we have been moving through the book of Ephesians. And so we are to the end, pretty much, of Ephesians, and we are talking today about spiritual warfare, right? Welcome to church. We're talking, I I love the way that Lottie reads that too. She's like, the devil's schemes. I'm like, ooh, that's perfect for Halloween this week, right? Um... Have you ever been, though, in a battle and you didn't even realize that you were in it? You were in the midst of something and you're like, why? What is happening? Why is this so hard? Maybe there was some sabotage happening in your life and and it took you a while to wake up to it. About a year and a half ago, I made the decision that I was going to try and get myself into physical shape. And so I was going to start working out and eating better. And so I was trying and I was trying. And it had been about six months with very, very little results to my utter frustration. And then my beloved spouse decided that he was also going to try after I had been trying for six months. And I don't know if this is true for everyone, but I think there's, you know, some man-women things going on here where men, it's like they think, I want to get in shape, and it happens, and it's not the case for me. And so that sweet husband of mine, all of a sudden, and I swear, like two weeks, was like dropping clothes sizes like this. And so in my holiness, I um, did everything I could to slow him down. And so I would, you know, if I'm making him an omelet or something, I'm like, 
let's put a few extra slices of butter in the pan. He's not going to know. And uh, cinnamon rolls, you know, he can't, there's a few things he can't say no to. Cinnamon rolls and those like veggie chips that look healthy, but they're actually worse than actual potato chips. So I would just make sure those were always on hand. And he was in the middle of a battle and he had no idea that I was sabotaging him. It didn't work though. He looks great, which I should be happy about. But Paul is here, he's wrapping up this letter. And he's shared all of this incredible information about what the church is supposed to be like, about what it is that we're supposed to believe in, right? To this church in Ephesus. And now he says a final word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Paul has just shared this incredible, life-changing information with us. All of this good news. You are loved. You are pursued. You can be hopeful. You are heirs to the throne. You don't have to be dead to sin anymore. And you're going to be opposed. This isn't going to be easy. We live in contested space. There are powers at play that don't want this new life for you. There are powers that are against you. We are in the midst of a battle, the Bible says, over and over, that most of us are unaware is even happening. And so this morning, we're going to look at this and kind of go through three things as we understand that we are opposed. First, who are we fighting? Who is it that's opposing us? What is it that we wear into battle? What is our armor? And then what is our strategy? So first, who are we fighting? You don't have to spend more than two minutes on the evening news or in your Twitter feed or Facebook to be well aware that there is evil in this world. But our tendency is that we put evil on people themselves. We also like to think of of evil as something that happens only in the material world in very tangible ways, like murder and rape and genocide. But Paul is saying that we, every day in our life, we are engaged in a battle, that there are forces that are opposing us from living into this life that God has called us to. Consistently throughout scripture, we see that there is an evil being referred to as the devil or Satan or the enemy that has a mind that is against God and his goodness and his love. It's a turf war, right? And our hearts and our minds are the prize plunder. We call this spiritual warfare. But where the enemy wants to capture us and enslave us with deceit, God wins our hearts with self-sacrifice in order to free us. There are at least 13 different names given to cosmic agents and powers in the New Testament. These are cosmic powers that are in principle behind all of the systemic evil that we encounter in the world, such as racism and natural disasters and sexism and classism. And in Ephesians 6, we learn that every time that we identify flesh and blood as our enemy, we are being played, we are being fooled by these cosmic powers. We are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities 
of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. If you don't believe in these powers, if you shrug that off, then anytime you start feeling opposed, you immediately turn your anger and your aggression and your defense or offense on people. And I have to be honest, I'm not one who's really big into spiritual warfare. I'm not one who would say that I'm always walking around with this mindset. When people tell me, oh, I've just been so attacked, my tendency is to be like, hey, life is hard, grow up, okay? Can't have everything your way. That's, I'm just being honest, that's my tendency, okay? But I remember a couple years ago where I had, I had a pretty interesting experience. I was speaking here on a Sunday morning and the week leading up, And the 24 hours before was insane. I was overwhelmed. I I consider myself a pretty confident person. I was overwhelmed with self-doubt. I was discouraged. I was confused. I couldn't get my thoughts straight. As I was preparing, I was spiraling into a disaster of a human And then this is where it gets really fun. As I started to then take my frustration and confusion and start turning it on the people around me, I started blaming my husband for what was happening to me. I was couldn't sleep. I was crying. I mean, I was it was a disaster zone. And about 30 minutes before the service, this is where we were at, guys. I texted something to the effect of, I'm embarrassed that I've trusted you so long to my spouse. And then I came and I preached the word of the Lord. But there was this voice inside my head and in my gut this whole time reminding me, thank God, that even though my flesh was not living it out right in that moment, there was a battle happening. Because I was about to come and proclaim that week to God's beloved children how loved they were, that they don't need to keep striving to gain his affection, and that because of his love, we can enter into the darkest places of the world not worried about self-preservation, but instead living free to self-sacrifice. And there's an enemy who doesn't want that to be shared. And so I was attacked. It was crazy. And pretty much as soon as the service was done, it was like, well, what the heck was that? How was it me? It was an enemy who whispered all of the ways my spouse has let me down who doesn't really love me, how I have no business speaking to anyone else about the truth of God's word because look at what a mess I am. The deceiver tried to make my battle with flesh and blood and for a little bit I bought into the lie. But really it's one of the most damaging deceptions that the evil powers have convinced us is that our battle is against other people. What God is saying is that if, if it has flesh and blood, It's not our enemy. You may disagree. You may come down on different sides of issues. But if it has flesh and blood, it's not our enemy. So who are we fighting? We are fighting evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world. Mighty powers and against evil spirits in heavenly places. That's what I love about what we've been doing on Wednesday nights with this study, Love Over Fear, where we have been trying to identify that over and over, that we have people that we unfortunately treat as enemies in our lives, but that is not the way of Jesus. So who are we fighting? It's not each other. 
That's not the battle that we're in. And what is our armor? I love that it says, you know, put on your armor because it's kind of like getting dressed, right? And what do we do? We get dressed every single day. We don't put on our armor one time and then walk around and wear it, you know, to bed with us. No, this is something we have to do every single day. We've got to have this mindset of as we go into the world every day, we've got to suit up with the right attire for battle. Many of you know Melissa, and I've shared this before here, but she, uh, she does this thing, and it cracks me up. It's my favorite thing that she does. She'll come over, and when she gets ready to leave somewhere, if she spent some time with you, I'm sure many of you have heard this, she gets on her coat and her shoes, and then she starts patting herself down, and she goes, phone, keys, MetroCard, lip gloss. Phone, keys, MetroCard, lip gloss. She makes sure she has them all. She's like, because I don't want to get halfway home and realize I forgot my phone or my keys and certainly not my lip gloss. She might leave a pot, but she's not going to forget her phone, her keys, her MetroCard, or her lip gloss. And you can do amazing things with good lip gloss. But there's a reality that as Melissa she walks out the door, she knows I need my vitals, my most essential things with me. And so for us, as we think about this battle that we're in, get dressed appropriately. We need our most essential things with us. If we are truly being opposed from living the way that God has designed us to live as a church, as individuals, then okay, what are the essentials we need to make sure we have on every day before we walk out the door? And so... The context they're in, they have Roman soldiers all around, and so Paul uses the attire of a soldier to to describe this to us. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And the belt is what holds everything else together. Normally it's what you would put on last, but this is a metaphor, so let's go with it. But it's so foundational that you need to put it on first. The belt of truth is what holds everything else together. Satan is called the father of lies, twisting and shifting truth, setting us off balance, off our feet. And what we're up against is deception. And so the number one thing we need is truth. Know the truth and it will set you free. And what is this foundational truth? Believe that the truth can be summed up for us in Christ crucified. In Christ crucified, we get the truth about who God is. We get the truth about who we are and who others are. That God is always good, he's always for us, he's always love. When the enemy tries to convince us that we're worthless, in Christ crucified, we know that we, we were worth his life. When the enemy tries to get us to believe that God is vengeful, in Christ crucified, we hear, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. When the enemy tries to get us to believe that our enemies are other people and we need to bulldoze them and defeat them and bomb them. In Christ crucified, we see that while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. When the enemy tries to get us to believe that life is only about what's here and now and getting everything that we can and living our best life, in Christ crucified, we see that those who lose their lives gain them. And so that first piece of getting dressed for battle is having that belt of truth, saturating your mind with this truth, knowing that this is your first defense against the enemy's schemes to accuse you and to set you off balance. The next is the breastplate of righteousness. What does righteousness mean? People tend to think it means someone who is ethical or holy, but righteousness is a covenantal concept 
To be righteous is to be rightly related to God and to others. In Jesus Christ, we are right related to God. Our righteousness is our right relatedness. We are in good standing. You know when you're rightly related to someone and when you're not. When something has happened between the two of you and you're not, you see them on the bus and you say, I'll walk. You see them on the train platform and you say, I'll go to the back. That's when you know you're not rightly related. But in God, God in Christ makes us right to himself. Jesus comes and says, you can do your worst to me, but I'm still here pursuing you and loving you. And he makes things right between us. So when we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we manifest what Christ has already accomplished. It's putting on display what is already true about us. And the breastplate is protecting our most vital organs, right? It's guarding our hearts. And it's guarding our hearts by guarding our most heart-tugging, important relationships. Our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with others. How do we do that? How do we put on the breastplate of righteousness? We invest in our relationship with Jesus. We take time to be with him, talking and listening to him, guarding that time because it's ultimately what will be guarding our hearts. We're investing time in important relationships as well, ensuring that we have people in our life who are encouraging us and lifting us up. When there's conflict, we deal with it quickly. Like it says in Ephesians 4, we don't go to bed angry, giving the devil a foothold. When we see strangers, as hard as it can be at 9 o'clock in the morning to get on the F train, we agree with God that they have unsurpassable worth. The enemy is trying to get us to be not rightly related to God or to other people. But when we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we say, no, God, because of what you've done in Christ, not only am I rightly related to you, but through you, I can be rightly related to the people around me. That says, as in your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You can't do anything very well if you have a foot injury. Right? Armies would put spikes in the ground to cripple their enemies, and so a soldier's shoes would be fortified. But you only need fortified shoes if you're on the move. Shoes fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Our feet are protected because we are on the move proclaiming this gospel of peace. This gospel of peace, it's everything we've been talking about, this reconciliation, this, this shalom, God's harmony for the whole world, all of creation, that, he, that Jesus made peace on the cross. If we believe this, we are called then to be his ambassadors. We are called then to go and proclaim this good news of peace, of God reconciling the world, unleashing his shalom everywhere. Second Corinthians says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, The new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. If you've believed this gospel of good peace, right, you're a new creation. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us, he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore... We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is saying that as we understand this gospel of peace, this good news of peace, that we are reconciled to God and to each other, we are meant to go. We are not meant to keep this for ourselves. So this idea of putting on shoes that are fitted with the readiness, it's waking up each day and going, okay, God, what do you have for me today? How is it that I'm going to be an ambassador for your peace in this world? It is in the going that we are actually protected. Not being so consumed with ourself and self-preservation, but going, God, how is it I can give my life away today? So, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. To understand the shield, we need to understand what faith is. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. And if you dig into the original language a bit more, it's really this substantiating or making manifest of things hoped for, which brings about a conviction that it's actually so. It's the substantiating of things hoped for, which brings about a conviction that it's actually so. There's a pastor, Greg Boyd, who talks about how faith is taking truth and envisioning it in our mind's eye, using our imaginations to take every thought captive. All of those things that Satan's trying to put in your head to say, nope, I'm going to take that and I'm going to wrap it in truth instead taking all of these truths about what Christ crucified, what that actually means in our life and envisioning it. Because it allows us to have, when we are able to access our imagination in this way, it allows us to have a concrete image then as we go through life and are attacked by lies, we can say, nope, because I've seen something different. If you can't see it, you're never going to do it. So in prayer, we envision it. So what does this look like? Scripture says we will never be abandoned. Right? So how do I envision that? How do I envision that truth so that when I feel desperately lonely, I can live into that? What is it that I feel the most abandoned in my life and how can I imagine in that moment or in that season that God is actually with me? It says that we're more than conquerors in all things. So what does it mean when, I, when it comes to temptation in my life? Can I imagine the things that are tempting me most and see myself defeating those through the power of Christ? Imagining that. For me, over the last year, I've had a lot of anxiety where my brain just keeps going and going and going and I have all these questions about what if, how is this going to work and what's going to happen with this and And so for me, one of my spiritual practices is envisioning, as Jesus says to us, cast cast all of our worries on him, right? Because he cares for us. I actually have a mental picture of Jesus putting his hand on my face, calming my brain, calming my heart. I'm with you. I care for you. I see you. I'm present with you. That type of truth, envisioning that, helps me when I'm in the midst of being so consumed with my own world and anxiety that I can come out of it. What is it for you that you need to envision? What truth do you need to envision through prayer? It says, take the helmet of salvation. And again, this is guarding your mind with the truth about salvation. Salvation. 
Salvation for Paul is about our whole relationship with God, the life-transforming relationship that we have with God. It's not just primarily about, when you go, about going to heaven when you die. That's not all that salvation is to Paul. The Bible talks about salvation in three tenses. We have been saved, we are still being saved, and we shall be saved. Believing, taking that helmet of salvation, guarding your mind and going, no, God has already, he's already saved me right here and now. There's sin that brings death in my life, but nope, he has saved me right here and now. Taking every thought captive. Anytime you start to doubt your salvation, saying, nope, have been saved, I'm still being saved, will be saved. And then what is our strategy? That's our armor, right? Those are all the things, the belt, the breastplate, the shoes. What else? The shield, the helmet. I wish I had all these things up here. It'd be really great, right? If I had legit armor and was putting it on. But our strategy is then the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God is our standard for truth. This is what we come back to. It's our best defense against the enemy's schemes. Knowing his truth and being able to apply it and speak it is what will allow us to stand. This is what Jesus did when he was tempted by the enemy in the desert. He was tempted and he responded. Anybody know? What did he start with? It is written. Satan tried to tempt him with something and he said, it is written. Jesus knew truth. But notice that Jesus didn't just think it, he spoke it. There's power in a spoken word. When we say it is written, we are standing under God's authority. It's his word, not our word. The one who created the world, we stand under his authority. So when we say it is written, we're not just pulling from our own strength. We're saying, no, this is what God from the beginning of time has said. Some of you don't know the truth about who you are. Some of you haven't spent time in scripture. You haven't heard the promises. You haven't heard what God actually feels about you, the ways that he's continued to pursue you. And so for many of you, your action step is just starting to learn that. I have printouts in the back on your way out of just a whole page of how God feels about you that come from scripture, about what he's done for you, about what he is doing for you, about his character and his, and his likeness. I encourage you, take one of those. If we run out, I'll make you more. But to take those and read them, envision it, go, okay, this is what this says. How is this actually true in my life? Speaking out what has been written is powerful effective. And so what we're going to do prior to receiving communion today is we're actually going to do a little bit of that. We're going to declare some things together, and it's a little awkward. I understand that, but I don't care. (laughs) We're doing it because we need to hear these things. We need to say them. We need to speak them. It is our strategy because you are being opposed. You are being attacked especially if you've said yes to Jesus and are trying to follow him. Actually, it's so funny. The the first week that we had services over in Sunnyside, the week leading up to it, 
It was, it was almost humorous. Dan fell down a flight of stairs all the way from the top. I mean, a bruise like, oh, it was nasty. Matthew, one of our other pastors, was moving this piece of glass. The thing shatters in his face. Simone, one of the other pastors who handles all the music, gets off of a stage and twerks his knee and it still is, it was like, seriously? Seriously? Four days before we open up a new location? Of course! Of course, because there's an enemy who doesn't want a whole group of people in another neighborhood to know how radically they're loved and that they can move through the world without vengeance and instead be proclaiming this ministry of reconciliation. Of course that happens. You are being opposed. But there's a way for us to suit up each day, to use the truth of the word to fight against the enemy who is not flesh and blood as annoyed as you might get with each other, they are not the enemy. So here's what we're going to do prior to receiving communion. We're going to do a little call and response. And I'm going to read something about a lie that the deceiver might say, and I want you to say what comes up on the screen. It is written. And I want you to say it with some like, like mean it, okay? Even if you don't, mean it. When the deceiver says, God doesn't care about us, we say, in Christ we are God's beloved children and dear friends. When the deceiver says, God has abandoned us, we say, it is written, Jesus will never leave us or forsake us, and nothing in heaven or on earth or in hell can separate us from the love of God in Christ. When the deceiver says we are guilty and condemned, we say, it is written, in Christ we are holy and blameless and freed from all condemnation. When the deceiver says we are being stupid idiots, we say, it is written, we have been given the mind of Christ and are bathed with wisdom and understanding. When the deceiver says we are poor and weak, we say, it is written, In Christ, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing, and we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. When the deceiver tries to make us fearful and anxious, we say, it is written, we are filled with God's own fearless spirit and filled with God's own joy and peace. When the deceiver says that we are losers who will never overcome our failings, we say, it is written, in Christ we are more than a conqueror in all things and we are destined to be totally transformed into Christ's own likeness. When the deceiver reminds us of our shameful past, we say, it is written, everything you had against us has been nailed to the cross, which is why you are now a laughingstock to us. When the deceiver says our shortcomings make us unlovable, we say, it is written, we are the beloved bride of Christ and we ravish the heart of God and make him sing and clap his hands in delight. When the deceiver says our future is looking very bleak, we say, it is written, in Christ we have an eternal inheritance of unimaginable glory. Amen. We're going to continue wielding the sword of the Spirit as we receive communion. Go ahead, band, you guys can come on up and those who are helping to serve today. But if the truth 
is summed up in Christ crucified, then our act of coming and taking the bread and taking the cup is an act of us saying, yes, we agree with all of these things. We might not always feel it, but yes, God, this is what truth is. Yes, in the midst of my attacks, I'm going to declare, I'm going to declare what truth actually is. And as we do that, the band is singing the song, Raise a Hallelujah, right? In the presence of our enemy, we are raising a hallelujah. That's another thing that we do to wield the sword of the Spirit. We come and we sing these truths about God. And we declare his faithfulness and his goodness. Because it's what protects our minds and our hearts from the attacks of the enemy. And so God, as we come today and as we sing this song and as we take the bread and we take the cup, remembering that you considered us worthy when we were still your enemies, that you love us so much that you would sacrifice yourself so that we could know you, so that we could live free from shame, free from sin, free from the lies of the enemy, God. And so, Lord, as we come today and we raise a hallelujah and we sing in the midst of whatever storm is going on in our life, God, I pray that you would meet us here this morning. You would embolden us with your truth and with your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray.